Well, if you've been here any over the last several weeks, you probably have recognized that one of the themes of Revelation is the wrath of God. From chapter 6 all the way through chapter 20, we're going to see messages relating to the wrath of God. Now that's a challenge because if you want to invite a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker to come to church and you say to them, hey, I'd love for you to come to church on Sunday. Our preacher is preaching through the book of Revelation. They are likely to say, really? He's preaching through Revelation? Because most people have heard this. And they're going to ask, wow, what's that like? And you're going to say, well, when you come on Sunday, it's very likely that you will hear about God's wrath falling on the world. Would you like to come? (laughs) It's a little challenging. And yet the message is there. The revelation of Jesus Christ is about God's wrath. The wrath of the Lamb. I don't want you to miss the fact today and in the weeks to come that the message of God's wrath is less about His wrath and more about the fact that He's communicated to us His wrath is coming. And in the communication that His wrath is coming, given everybody an opportunity who hears the revelation of Jesus to escape the coming wrath. You see, the fact that we get to dig into a clear message about Jesus Christ related to his wrath means that everyone who hears the message has the opportunity not just to escape the wrath that is coming, but to enjoy the promises that he will deliver. I pray that every week we gather around this book and we're reminded about the coming wrath of Jesus Christ. We will see clearly that His grace and mercy is conveying the message of His wrath so we might escape it. And in knowing we have escaped His wrath that we might become a people who go into our world and offer the opportunity to enjoy the promises found only in Christ that will be enjoyed for eternity so let's pick up where we left off revelation chapter 6 was the beginning of the breaking or the opening of the seals the seals of a book that was held in the right hand of, of him who sits on the throne a book that was only able to be taken and the seals of which were only able to be opened by the lion of judah the once slain lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And he took that scroll, that book, and he began to break its seals. And the first four seals of God's wrath were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the four horsemen came and they came to conquer and the peace of God was removed from the face of the earth and chaos breaks out on the face of the earth and death comes in and strikes about a quarter of the world. The fifth seal is broken and those who have died for Christ and the message of the gospel 
are seen crying out from under the altar, asking the Lord, how long until you avenge our blood on the earth? And the Lord responds to them saying, I have given you something in the righteousness of Christ that I'm still giving to those on the earth. And so you need to hold on a while until more people come to know me and have the chance to die for me and the message of the gospel. Jesus opens the sixth seal, and the sixth seal is so horrible that everybody on the face of the earth that once thought they had security, stability, and safety, and protection by their own provision, they begin to run and hide under mountains and cliffs, and they cry out that the mountains and cliffs would fall on them and kill them, thinking that maybe if I die before the outpouring of wrath, I might escape it. And the question we are left with at the end of chapter 6, after the opening of six seals, is who is able to stand on the day of God's great wrath? And the implication is no one is able to stand. And then we have chapter 7. We flash back before the wrath of God is poured out. And we see people who can stand on the day of God's wrath and worship God. Who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We flash forward to the day after God's wrath has fallen. We see a multitude of people standing before the throne of God worshiping. Because they place their faith in Jesus Christ. Who is able to stand? Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will escape wrath and enjoy his promises forever. And that leads us to chapter 8, the breaking of the seventh seal. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And when the seventh seal was opened, it became silent in heaven for about half an hour. That was about 30 seconds. Did that feel like forever? That was hard to do, and I practiced that. Now imagine after the breaking of the six seals and seeing that vision unfold before you. Imagine what it would be like to have 30 seconds of 30 minutes of silence. 30 seconds. Minutes after seeing that unfold, most assuredly had to feel like the calm before the storm. And it certainly is the calm before the storm. The great storm of God's wrath to an unprecedented portion is going to unfold and fall on the world. But here in this moment after the Seventh seal is broken. Something unexpected and remarkable occurs. Silence in heaven. 
And in the calm of the storm, something fantastic occurs. Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. And I saw seven angels standing before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came stood before the altar, having a golden censer, and much incense was given to him in order to be added to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before God. And smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel. Before God. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and a sweet smelling fragrance of a candle burning hits you right when you walk in the door? You know, if you walk into a house and they're not burning any kind of fragrant candles, you just walk in and say, hey, what's up? But if you walk into a house where they're burning a fragrant candle, Oftentimes you'll walk in the house and you'll either think or you'll say, whoa, what is that beautiful, wonderful smell? And all of a sudden your experience in that home is shaped by the fragrant aroma of that candle. I have just such a candle. This is a salted caramel corn candle from Bath and Body Works. (laughs) And I am so sad that I cannot find a candle like this. And you can see, if you look closely, that my candle is only this much left. And so I'm using it sparingly and only in important moments. And I had this in my office, and oftentimes when I began to read God's Word, I'll crack the lid on this candle just a little bit. And that sweet-smelling aroma will just fill my office, and I'll think this is a little slice of heaven. Do you have anything like that? That When you smell it, you just think, wow, that is amazing. That's the scene of the calm before the storm. Where all the prayers of the saints, all those who have placed their faith in Christ, all the prayers of the saints are wafting along with the smoke of this sweet-smelling fragrance to the face of God, this plume of smoke from the incense carrying this sweet smell that fills the throne room of God and grabs God's full attention and He gives His full attention to the prayers of the saints. God has already invited us into a relationship with Him to pray, to cry out to Him, to know that He's listening to us. And here we see this scene in heaven where an angel comes alongside the invitation of God for us to pray. And He puts incense from the altar on this this pan, this censer, and the smoke goes up. And it's a sweet-smelling fragrance. And it's mixed with our prayers so that we might never miss the fact that God loves when his people pray, that he gives his full attention to the prayers of his people. It's like a sweet-smelling fragrance. God hears our prayers. He says, oh, that is exactly 
what I love. I love to hear my people cry out. I love to hear what ails my people. I love to hear what they long to end in their life. I love to hear them say they wish they did not struggle another day. I love to hear them cry out for me to heal them. I love to hear them cry out for this world to change. I love to hear them cry out for those who don't yet know me. I love to hear my people pray and they have my full attention. So what are the people praying? This passage in Revelation doesn't give us the details of the content of the people's prayers. We have some implication previously in Revelation as to the content of these prayers. Remember back in Revelation chapter 5 when we saw the 24 elders around the throne of God holding bowls of incense, which were the prayers of the saints? Remember that? All of chapter 5 is about how Jesus is the answer to all our prayers. Regardless of the content of the prayers of his people, the answer to every prayer is ultimately in Jesus Christ who will deliver on his promises. You can boil down all the prayers in the bowls of incense to a cry for redemption. We want What you have promised us. And reality is that we're not going to get all that Christ has promised. This side of heaven. And what we're crying out for when we say, Lord, I want you to rescue me from this sin. I want you to heal me of this sickness. I want you to deliver my friend who's suffering like this. What we're actually crying out for is ultimately only found in the fulfillment of Jesus' promises in eternity. We're crying out for redemption. And then you see Revelation chapter 6, that fifth seal. The martyrs who have given their life for Christ are crying out, how long will it be before you avenge our blood? What are they crying out for? They're crying out for Jesus to bring about his final day of judgment so that they might experience the fulfillment of his promises. They know they have escaped God's wrath and they're crying out for the fulfillment of the promises of Christ in the escape of all the wrath of God. All of their prayers are ultimately about Jesus Christ and his redemption. All of our prayers that grab the attention of God are about redemption. We want God to fulfill his promises on behalf of his great name and his people that he has rescued through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're crying out for redemption. And the moment that God is given his full attention to our prayers, prayers that are ultimately about Christ's return, Fulfillment of his promises. At that moment when God has given his full attention, he responds by pouring out his wrath. Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. And the angel took the 
censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he cast it to the earth. And there came thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared them in order to sound the trumpets. And the first sounded the trumpet. And there came a hailstorm, fire mixed with blood, and it was cast to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned, and a third of the trees were burned. And all the green grass was burned. Several years ago, I lived through some significant wildfires in the West Texas area. And it left thousands of acres in devastation. I drove by a massive fire in New Mexico that same year. There were wildfires all across our nation. And trees and grass were completely obliterated. And tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres were burned. That's nothing compared to this day. On the entire face of the earth, not a green blade of grass will be left. It would just be black ash everywhere. This is a destruction like the world has never seen. And the second angel sounded the trumpet. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures in the sea which had life died. And a third of the boats were destroyed. Destruction like the earth has never seen. Verse 10. And the third angel sounded the trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a lamb. And it fell on the third of the rivers and upon the springs of water. The name of the star was called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water which had become bitter or poisoned. Several weeks ago, we went on a little hike around Lake Georgetown, and I decided I would try out a, a, a new toy that I got. I didn't take any water on the hike. We are going to hike about seven or eight miles, and so I knew in the heat of the day I'd need water, but I didn't take water. I just took this empty bottle that had inside it what's called a life straw. If you know what a life straw is, it's an opportunity to use any source of water to create drinking water. So you could literally scoop up any water I could find anywhere 
in any pond, any stagnant, whatever. It doesn't matter if it was clean or not. It could be the dirtiest water possible. I could just scoop it up in my bottle, put the life straw in there, and drink all the water I wanted. My family wasn't so keen on this idea. (laughs) At least not all of us. But the thing that they did not realize is they brought too little water. So about three-quarters way through the hike, they were hot. They were very thirsty, and I had a life straw in an unlimited source of water. And so everybody just started dipping that in there, putting the lid on, and drinking what we would call dirty water. But we drank it through the life straw, and it was clean. On this day of God's great wrath, you drink water from rivers or springs, you can't filter out this poison. And many, many people die. Nothing the world has ever seen. Verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded the trumpet. And a third of the sun third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them became darkened. And the day did not shine for a third of it and the night likewise. Destruction like the world has never seen. John says in verse 13, I looked and I heard one eagle flying in the middle heaven saying in a great voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell upon the earth because of the remaining sound of the trumpets of the three angels which are about to sound. If you think the first four trumpets were bad, you haven't seen anything yet. God's great wrath. We live today in the time that is more like the calm before the storm than in the time of God's great wrath being poured out. We live in the day where God is still holding back the winds of his judgment. And in the calm before the storm for each of us, we need to be reminded by this passage that our prayers have God's full attention. And God is working right now in the midst of our lives in order to move towards the fulfillment of His promises and the answers to all your prayers. But the answers to all our prayers are not fully realized in Christ except through judgment. The the only way to redemption, 
the cry of our hearts, the only way to the fulfillment of Christ's promises, the only way to the ultimate answers for what we cry out for as the people of God, the only way to that fulfillment is through judgment. It's through God's wrath. But God has told us that. So that we might be a people who, knowing we have escaped the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ, leverage everything we are to help others in the patience of God experience escape from God's wrath and eventually enjoyment of God's promises forever. But the only way to that great day of eternity is through God's wrath. And I want to make sure today that when you leave this place, you understand that that's not as bad as it sometimes seems. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 15 to kind of get an idea of how to understand what Revelation is teaching us. Because back in Genesis 15, there's a story between God and Abraham where Abraham actually hears from God a message about the future, much like John heard in Revelation. So John's hearing a message about the future, and so is Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. In fact, Abraham is told that in about 400 years, the people that I promised you will become will be under slavery in another nation. God doesn't tell Abraham it's Egypt. He just says in about 400 years there's going to be some bad stuff for the people that are my people that have come through you like I promised. And they're going to be in slavery under this nation and I'm going to bring judgment on that nation. So he tells Abraham this promise, Genesis chapter 15. Now we know the rest of the story. How God's people are in slavery in Egypt and Moses comes along and God uses Moses to bring the people out of slavery and they leave Egypt. And how they got to leave Egypt was because God brought judgment on Egypt. Now why would God judge Egypt? If you trace Egypt's genealogy all the way back, do you know where they come from? Of course you do. They come from Noah. Noah's son Ham. And all the descendants of Ham, they become Cush and Put. And guess what? They come Egypt. Egypt, if you look at who they become, they turned away from God along the way and they became a nation that worshipped everything but God. And God comes into the nation of Egypt with his people and plants an evidential marker that he exists by way of his people for years, right there living among them, starting with Joseph, who loved the Lord, called on the Lord. And then for all these years in slavery, they see evidence of God right there in their midst and they don't care at all. And God judges the people that should have known him because they rejected him. But look at what he does in this temporal, local display of God's judgment. He gives them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to respond to him and to place their faith in him. They're given plague after plague after plague. Why? So that Egypt may see the glory and power of God. And so that Egypt might turn back to the Lord. And they refused. 
Pharaoh blasphemed God in the face of the greatest display of the evidence of God Egypt had ever seen since the day of Noah. But you know what? When Israel left, there were some in Egypt who left with them. Because the display of God's wrath was an invitation to God's mercy. And some took it. Something else happens in the conversation between Abraham and God in that same scene in Genesis 15. God tells Abraham, you're going to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land. I've got a land for you. But you're not going to go in there until the sins of the Amorites have reached their limit. The Canaanites, the land that the people of God came in to possess... Do you know the Canaanites get their name from their forefather Canaan, who is the grandson of Noah? Once again, you just trace the line down. These are people that should have known God. And God has given them hundreds of more years to turn back to him. And he's going to wait until the last possible moment when their sin has reached the point of no return, when they are not going to turn back to him. Then he says, I'll bring my people in and I will judge this land and I will give my people what I promised them. And yet throughout all the Old Testament, do you know what you see? You see individuals and groups and families who come to the Lord and they come by way of the invitation of the presence of God's people and judgment on the land. Rahab. There's one whole group of people that that fool the Israelites into not being wiped out and they've made an agreement with them. And you know what they end up becoming? They end up becoming some of the caretakers of the temple and the, the place where God is worshipped. It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to be on the outside. Are you hearing me? That's what's happening all along the way. And then Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is in a conversation with the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know Sodom and Gomorrah, this place that God's going to pour out his wrath. And he says, I'm going to let Abraham know what I'm going to do. And so Abraham hears it and Abraham says to God, God, if there are 50 people, in Sodom and Gomorrah that care about you. Will you wipe out a whole people? God says, no, I won't. If there are 50 people there, I will not wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll let them stay. Abraham musters courage. He says, what if there are 45? Will you, I won't wipe them out. Well, God, what if there are 40? I won't wipe them out. What if there are 30? I won't wipe them out. What if there are 20? I won't wipe them out. God, I know I'm exhausting you here. Please, one more time, let me ask. What if there are just 10 people who care about you? Will you spare the entire community because of those 10? Yes, I'll spare them all if there are just 10. If there weren't even 10. And so God wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah. But did you know what God did? There weren't 10. But the number that there were, he went into Sodom and Gomorrah before he poured out his wrath and he got them and he got them out. The display of God's judgment 
is never void of the display of God's mercy. He longs for us to escape his wrath so that we might enjoy his promises. That's why we read in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, do we miss out on the kindness of God and his tolerance and his patience and that it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. It's the patience and tolerance of God right now to hold back the winds of his judgment and tell us it's coming. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God is patient toward us, not longing that anyone perish, but that everyone come to repentance in Christ. That's what we see in Revelation. I do not want you to miss that that's exactly what we see in Revelation and the difference between all that we've seen in the Old Testament with God's wrath and what we're seeing in Revelation is that Revelation is the final day of God's wrath. Everything we've seen before this moment has been regional and local displays of God's judgment on people that also had opportunity to experience God's mercy. There's coming a day when the door of salvation will close, and that's Revelation, the final day of God's wrath. But the same thing we're seeing throughout Scripture is exactly what we're seeing in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the message to the churches is one of repentance. Will you repent and walk close to me? Because if you don't walk close to me, you're going to miss out on what I'm doing in you and through you as I unfold every event in history towards my final day where everything is made brand new. Repent. But that message of repentance is not just a message to the churches. No, it's broader than that. Do you know in one of the churches there's a lady named Jezebel who is leading people astray. You think that name is by mistake? She's leading God's people astray one after another. You know what God says? This is what Jesus says about Jezebel. Revelation chapter 2, verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent. And she is not willing. The worst of the worst in Revelation right there. One of the biggest threats against the church that God loves. And Jesus says, I've given even her time to repent. That's what we see unfolding through the book of Revelation. We get to this great outpouring of God's wrath like the world has never seen. And everybody that's left on the face of the earth continues to see a display of God's glory so that they might turn back to the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 9 and Revelation chapter 16, we're going to see multiple times as God's wrath has continued to be poured out that the response to the wrath of God by those who are still alive on the earth is to reject God. They're seeing the greatest display that God is unfolding the world towards the promises of eternity. And in the face of that, again and again, we'll see in Revelation, they saw what God was doing and they did not repent. God is still holding open the door and every display of judgment through the course of revelation presents opportunities to respond to Jesus Christ and escape the wrath and enjoy his promises. 
And God waits until the last moment where his display of wrath in the seventh bowl of his wrath results in the people on the face of the earth saying to God, we don't want you. That's how they respond. They blaspheme God. They do not repent. They blaspheme God and they say, we don't want you. In Revelation chapter 16, we will hear a loud voice from heaven exclaim, it is done. The final rejection is complete and the final judgment occurs. We will not reach that day until God's patience and tolerance has been so exhausted that there is no one left except those who tell God to his face in the great display of his glory, we don't want you. And in that moment, a multitude will cry out, hallelujah, Salvation and glory and power be to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. And he will close the door with judgment and he will open the door into eternity. And everything we've prayed will be answered in Jesus Christ forever. So how do you live your life now in the calm? Here it is. You love God through faith in Jesus Christ with everything you are. And you never forget that his full attention is on you and your prayers. And you never in the moments when you're struggling the most shake your fist at God as if he's not listening to you. Because he's listening. He's listening to every cry, every longing for redemption, every wanting to be free, every struggle that you feel. He's listening. He has your full attention and he wants you to trust him and follow him through those difficulties. Because in times when he does not answer the cry of your heart in the moment, he is simply delaying the answer until Christ returns so that you might walk with him through the difficulty in such a way that your display of the gospel will be absolutely a display that the world cannot ignore. The world cannot ignore a people who suffer this side of heaven in hope of a promise that we're going to experience on that side of heaven because we know our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and He is enough. So love God through faith in Jesus and don't stop following Him. Be willing to walk through every difficulty because you have the hope of Christ, but walk through it because you love people. And you love them enough to walk through any difficulty that Christ chooses for you so that you might be a display of his gospel that the people around you you're loving cannot ignore and love them with the gospel tell people about Christ he is their only escape and we must tell that's how we love people and when they come to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as we walk faithfully with him guess what they're going to need help doing that 
They're going to need help walking with Christ and believing he actually listens to what they say when nothing around them seems to be what God wants in the moment. When things aren't being answered like they want them to, they're going to need somebody to walk alongside them that's been walking with Christ to remind them he is not ignoring you. He cares. He loves you. You can see that in Christ. Don't lose your vision of Christ because he is a faithful Savior and he will come again. And everything we long for, he will do. Don't give up. Here we are in the calm before the storm. Make the most of God's patience by helping others follow Christ. In the calm of the storm, cry out to the Lord. But walk with Him through everything. Trust Him. Because one day the door of salvation will close. That day will be the opening of the door of eternity. So hold on until that day. And love God, love people, and help others do the same.